You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New details in Vancouver's sixth homicide of 2018. A man shot yesterday in the upscale neighborhood of Carisdale has now been identified. Police confirming 32-year-old Kaminder Rye died in hospital. Jill Bennett joins us with more on what we're learning about Rye and how he died. Jill. Chris, so we know he was a realtor based in Surrey. A colleague refers to him as a gentle giant, somebody who wouldn't hurt a fly. So one of the big questions remaining today is, why was he in this Carisdale neighborhood and why was he targeted? Less than 24 hours after a man was gunned down in broad daylight in this upscale neighborhood, police search for evidence and residents are alarmed. When the, when the ambulance came, he was, he was moving. But before that, no, he was standstill. But after the police came, the ambulance came, he started to say, something breathing like that, hardly. Something like fireworks, just bang, bang, something like that, yeah. The victim has been identified as 32-year-old Kaminder or Cam Rai, a realtor from Surrey. The motive still unclear, according to police. We're still working to see if um, why the victim was in the area at the time. And if he was there visiting you and you're seeing this now, and you've not yet spoken to police, we're asking you to give us a call. Rai worked at the Planet Group. A friend and co-worker describes him as a gentle giant and says he was successful, selling as many as 30 homes in 2017 alone. I know a lot of people in the industry today are shocked by this news. Um, people that we've grown up with, Cam, shocked by this news. And I just, I'm just speechless today. It's the middle of February. Um, we've already had six homicides, or sixth homicide in Vancouver. At the time of the shooting, police were focusing on this black SUV, although it's unclear how it could be related. While the shooting appears to be targeted, that's still unsettling for neighbours. It's shock. I mean, we don't expect this in our neighbourhood. <laughs> And I thought, carousel, shooting in carousel, oh my God, in the carousel neighborhood. Yeah, no, I'm surprised in this neighborhood. But. Vancouver police spent several hours canvassing the neighborhood, looking for footage from security cameras that may have caught the shooting as it unfolded. Well, uh, Chris, uh, across the street from where the shooting took place is a home that until a few years ago was owned by Raputaman Singh Malik. He was one of two men acquitted in charges connected to the Air India bombing in 1985. Now, there is nothing at this point linking the shooting and that home. However, that home has a lot of security cameras on it, and those cameras have the footage that police have been asking for. Back to you. All right, let's hope it helps. Thanks, Jill. Breaking news now in Mexico. A powerful earthquake has rocked the southern and central parts of the country. The epicenter of the 7.2 magnitude quake was close to the Pacific coast in the southern state of Oaxaca. Posts on social media show tremors were felt in the capital, Mexico City, about 350 kilometers away. Lights seen swaying and buildings shaking as well as people running into the streets. So far, there are reports of damage, but no deaths. A major shaker follows another 7.1 magnitude quake in September that left 369 people dead. And the family of a Vernon woman who disappeared while diving in Mexico is now in Puerto Vallarta hoping 
to help find her. David Chambers tells Global News his wife Gloria was on a diving excursion in Banderas Bay off the coast of Puerto Vallarta when she failed to resurface yesterday morning. Today, the search area was expanded, and in addition to divers, two helicopters and one private fixed-wing plane are now involved. The Canadian consulate is also engaged in helping to coordinate the response. The family remains hopeful. Vancouver police are now appealing for dash cam video from drivers who were in the area of West King Edward Boulevard between Arbutus and Granville on Tuesday morning. They're hoping it'll help in their investigation involving the groping of a 12-year-old girl. The suspect is described as white, late 40s to early 50s with gray stubble on his face, and he may have a noticeable freckle on his cheek by his right eye. Anyone who has information is urged to call Vancouver police. Well, the B.C. government is pulling the trigger on a new Patullo Bridge. The province promising this morning to replace the 80-year-old span, taking it out of the hands of TransLink and assuming the cost of replacing it. John Waugh has more on how much that will be and what it'll look like once it's complete. It was once the B.C. NDP's gift to Metro Vancouver cities. 80 years later, it can't keep on giving much longer. It's very narrow. Way overdue. Yeah, definitely about time. And not good, right? Very bumping, right? The province's latest present taking back the Patilla Bridge by picking up the nearly $1.4 billion tab for its replacement. By 2023, we can put to rest uh, the good work of the Patello and move on. Construction of the new crossing expected to start in the summer of 2019, with a center median, four wider lanes, and a separate path for cyclists and pedestrians. The B.C. Liberals calling it a rushed B.C. NDP pet project that shouldn't be solely paid for by the province. It's important that the NDP get this right. They're rushing out an announcement with no federal funding, and it's a, probably a short-term decision to go with four lanes rather than six. With development booming in cities on both sides of the Batello, many wondering if the four-lane plan will fall behind by the time the new bridge is built. Honestly, it should be like six lanes because look at this. It's all, it's always, always busy here. There's way too many people and there's not enough roads. Might as well go six now. But new Westminster and Surrey likely hoping to stem the flow, not funnel traffic through their cities. There's no reason why that type of infrastructure can't uh, can't fit in, but if it's not done right, it could have a, have a negative impact. And while TransLink and the Mayor's Council no longer have to pay for the Batilla replacement, the Transportation Authority is still on the hook for keeping the old bridge open for the next five years. It's not the safest bridge around, both from a structural perspective, but also just from the number of cars going through in those skinny lanes every day. One thing no one seems to be debating when it comes to retiring the old Patillo. That bridge was crossed a long time ago. John Hua, Global News. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this move by the government and the politics involved. Mm -hmm. Keith. Yeah, it's hard to separate uh, major infrastructure projects from electoral pol politics, Chris. The NDP government in the 1990s built the SkyTrain Millennium Line that went through a number of NDP ridings. The B.C. Liberal government, of course, wanted to build the Massey Tunnel Bridge Replacement Project, which would have run through or, or connected a bunch of B.C. Liberal ridings. Take a look at the ridings around the Patello Bridge, the, the people who are going to benefit the most. About a dozen ridings, uh, one by the NDP, and have been won a number of elections over the last uh, number of years, and uh, basically 
basically all the uh, municipalities surrounding the, the um, Patello Bridge. So look at New Westminster, for example, and the four Burnaby ridings, all four owned by the NDP, Deer Lake, Edmonds, Lowheed, and Burnaby North. Also on the other side, well, sticking with Port Coquitlam, but then you go to the other side of the river, five Surrey ridings held by the NDP, none of them picked up at the Liberals' expense in the last election. Coincidentally, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, come the next election in 2021, if that's when it's held, the construction will be well underway and it'll be a convenient political photo op backdrop for John Horgan as he seeks re-election in those critically important ridings around the Patello Bridge. We'll see, if it, we'll see if it stays on schedule. Thanks very much, Keith. Right. More tonight on the heartbreaking death of a young Squamish girl. Stephanie Lawrence died of an opioid overdose last month. She was just 15 years old. Her mother and father calling on the province to help parents do all they can to save the lives of their children. Aaron MacArthur has the government's reaction and what they're willing to do about it. Wrecked with guilt. Sean Lawrence and Brenda Doherty still wonder what else they could have done. While their daughter Stephanie suffered through an ever-worsening addiction, everything they tried to do to help failed. I believe that when it gets to the point where it's potentially fatal or extremely dangerous, I think the parents should be allowed to step in. Unlike Alberta, in BC, involuntary care isn't allowed. A teenager who doesn't want treatment can't be made to comply with their parents' wishes. 25 years ago, Diane Soden lost her daughter to the streets of the downtown east side. She helped co-author a report that advocated for restrictive, or what's known as safe, care. We need a specialized foster care where there is staff, that it is a family setting, and it's persistence of staff, not bars, and to keep those kids safe. Laws were drafted, but never passed. And the recommendations have sat in a drawer for 20 years while kids continue to die. I know it's not uh, feel good to talk about uh, confining children. But it even feels worse to leave them in these situations that we are leaving them. The government is looking at this issue, but it is complicated. There is no broad catch-all solution. I'm reaching out to that family. I want to meet with them and I want to hear from them directly so that their experience about losing their child can be part of what informs our strategy. In their grief, Stephanie's parents are hopeful. By speaking out, maybe they can prevent another family from having to experience such helplessness. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And if the opioid epidemic hasn't hit home yet, consider this. In the 80s and 90s, it was the HIV-AIDS crisis that eventually claimed so many lives that the world had to listen and, more importantly, act. In 1994, B.C. had the worst HIV numbers in the country, with two new diagnoses every day. And 1996 was the deadliest year, with one death every two days. But compare that with the opioid crisis in this province. Last year, more than 1,400 people died of an illicit drug overdose. That's almost four deaths per day. And in 80% of those deaths, experts say fentanyl was to blame. The hits of a different kind just keep adding up for B.C. band Headley amid allegations of sexual misconduct involving young fans. 
Today, the band's management dropped them, saying, quote, given the multiple allegations against Headley, we have taken the decision to terminate our business relationship with the band effective immediately. Others also distancing themselves from the group, including Chorus and CBC radio stations across the country, dropping the band's music from their playlists. Headley was earlier dumped as one of the performers at the upcoming Juno Awards in Vancouver. For its part, members of the band deny the claims. But first, a Metro Vancouver restaurateur has joined the battle over Alberta's ban on B.C. wines due to the Kinder Morgan pipeline dispute. As Linda Aylesworth reports, he's calling on other restaurants to join his B.C. wine-only campaign. When restaurateur Fred Sufi heard Alberta was boycotting B.C. wine over the Kinder Morgan pipeline dispute, he was upset. You can't just just hurt the wineries. I mean, those are innocent people, so why them? He wanted to do something to help, and is the owner of two restaurants, Club Ilia in Burnaby and Pasta Polo in Coquitlam. It didn't take long to figure out how. I'm not going to sell any other wine than B.C. wine, and we are increasing the type of wine from B.C. which we had. The new wine menus, fresh from the printers, took their places on tables today. We are not selling any other wine, just a B.C. wine. As for what customers think, Robert, visiting from Alberta, was conflicted at first, but on reflection... Nobody's going to win by getting into these uh, disputes, and uh, uh, cooler heads need to prevail, and I think this is a great thing. The idea of selling B.C. wines exclusively isn't new to B.C.'s iconic white spot restaurant. These are actually some of our top sellers and we have a wide variety of great varietals. Six years ago, White Spot moved to 100% BC VQA wines, a decision they don't regret. We had a few guests that were missing perhaps a California wine, but 99.9% of our guests were so supportive and we have seen really healthy increases every year in our wine sales. The restaurant chain sells thousands of cases of BC wine each year. Of course, Fred can't come close to that, but he has an idea. I'm telling you other restaurants to, to follow that, and if they do that, I believe we can offset what is... Alberta doing to BC wine. I would encourage every restaurant to go and support this amazing industry. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Former Winter Olympian Kaya Tursky is in Vancouver today giving Canadians a hands-on chance to cheer for our athletes at the Winter Games. <laughs> the Golden Stick has been on a tour of eight cities across Canada right, and today Kaya brought it to Jackpool Plaza in Vancouver. Members of the public invited to tap the hockey stick in support of our athletes in Pyeongchang. The total so far, nearly 50,000 taps. New Westminster's notorious staircase to nowhere is getting a makeover. The staircase got a lot of attention last summer after it was built by the city as a required fire escape following demolition of a parkade. But it wasn't actually attached to the building beside it. Today, the staircase is connected, but some say not particularly nice to look at. So the city has decided to spruce it up as public art. There's so many ways that people can approach it, but, you know, something with light, something interactive, uh, with uh, possibly with sound, something that, that is fun and adds to uh, the public realm that we are creating here on Front Street. New Westminster's Public Art Committee has been asked to get proposals for a programmable public art space with a budget of up to $75,000.
A Fraser Valley radio station is hoping to organize an epic valley-wide bottle drive for a family going through a very tough time. Four-year-old Caden Panter is fighting throat cancer, and as Jennifer Palmer reports, that's not the only challenge his single mother is facing. At least he's eating. Yeah. Four-year-old Caden Panter is having pizza, an accomplishment after weeks of not being able to eat comfortably. What is it? It's pizza. He just started looking sicker, and, and he started losing weight, and he started not eating. Brittany Panter, Caden's mom, took him to hospital. That's where they found several tumors in his throat. He's been diagnosed with cancer. It wasn't really clear what was really going on until the doctors had to look at me and say, his airway is restricted. Caden also lives with autism. It's been hard on the single mother of four to make ends meet. So it's just kind of gotten to the point where right now it's just physically not able for me to work. Friends and family are supporting Caden and Brittany by offering help in starting a GoFundMe page, but their Abbotsford community is also on board. We want to rally the valley for this young guy. Fitzy, the weekend host at Star 98.3, is organizing a bottle drive for Caden on March 3rd. He knows the family's savings are drying up. thought, wow, a single mom of four kids, it's cancer. Cancer is close to my heart, so I just had to choose this one. It's only been a few weeks since Caden was diagnosed. His cancer is aggressive, and he may need to go out of province for further treatment. The stress has led Brittany to be on a heart monitor, but the community's support is uplifting her, giving her hope Caden will be okay. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Well, the bottle drive goes March Third, with drop-off locations at Chilliwack's Prospera Center, Mission Raceway Park, Terry Fox Elementary in Abbotsford, and the Silver Chalice Pub in Hope. A crowdfunding campaign has also been established for Caton. A bombshell development today in the debate over whether Russia interfered in the last U.S. election. Special Counsel Robert Mueller coming down squarely on the yes side by indicting 13 Russian nationals for plotting to help Donald Trump. The federal government tonight outlining an elaborate, expensive, and extraordinary assault on U.S. democracy, describing how 13 Russians and three Russian companies interfered online and in person in the 2016 election. The indictment says the Russians tried to create chaos, supporting the Trump presidential campaign and disparaging Hillary Clinton in the general election, not just by posting on social media, but going so far as to travel to key states, organizing rallies like this flash mob in Florida in August 2016. But the government says the Americans there had no idea the Russians were behind it. With a budget of more than a million dollars a month, the Russians even communicated with unwitting members, volunteers, and supporters of the Trump campaign, all while hiding their true identity, according to the Deputy Attorney General. There's no allegation in this indictment that any American had any knowledge. Rod Rosenstein specifically citing only this indictment, though the president's taking a broader view after months of calling the Russia investigation It was a hoax. Now, he seems to feel vindicated tweeting, the results of the election were not impacted. The Trump campaign did nothing wrong, no collusion. But? The indictment doesn't vindicate anyone. What an indictment does is it charges people, and in this case, organizations with federal crimes. But there's no vindication simply because you're not mentioned. 
The special counsel investigation covers a lot of ground and could be far from over, even with today's announcement. There is absolutely no way that they would have conducted this kind of extensive operation going undercover into the United States of America without the blessing of the Kremlin. Florida Governor Rick Scott is calling for the resignation of the director of the FBI over the agency's mishandling of the suspect in Wednesday's deadly school shooting. The agency admitting today it was warned about Nicholas Cruz last month, but did nothing. The FBI received the tip just six weeks before the deadly rampage, the second warning about Nicholas Cruz in five months. But in a stunning admission, the agency says it never investigated when on January 5th, a person close to Cruz called an FBI tip line providing information about Cruz's gun ownership, desire to kill people, erratic behavior and disturbing social media posts, as well as the potential of him conducting a school shooting. The FBI describing the information as a potential threat to life, that it should have been forwarded to the FBI Miami field office for follow-up, but that information was never passed on. The potential of the FBI to miss something is always there. We do our best. We will be looking into where and how uh, if something, if the protocol broke down. Stunned reactions from students like survivor Delaney Tarr. We need to protect our teachers, our children. Every person in this country needs to be protected. And the fact that they failed us, it makes me so angry. Jeff Kasky's two sons hid behind desks during the carnage. I'm shocked because the FBI, I thought, had their act together. A former FBI executive called the revelation devastating. With the amount of information the FBI appeared to have in this lead, it was from a credible source, a reliable source, and there was a level of specificity. The FBI may have been able to prevent this attack. The new admission follows FBI confirmation of another warning. Last September, a YouTube blogger alerted agents about this disturbing post on his page from someone calling themselves Nicholas Cruz. It says, I'm going to be a professional school shooter. I hope people learn that when somebody throws up red flags, they need to pay more attention to them. A Brantford, Ontario man is fighting with the Ford Motor Company over compensation for a near disaster. Was Kevin Heckman and his wife were in bed when neighbors came banging on their window telling them their brand new Ford F-150 pickup was on fire in the driveway. The heat shattered windows and melted the front of their home. Heckman says Ford won't accept his emails about the fire, asking him instead to send them a letter. No one expects to be woken up by a passerby that your brand new 2017 truck's on fire. We have had initial conversations with a customer and, and we need to find out more about this. And at the end of the day, um, you know, if something like this happens, we always, you know, investigate fully. We'll work with a customer. Contacted by Ford in two weeks to talk about the damage to his home or to discuss what might have caused the fire. Another troubling development tonight in the debate over Victoria's sewage and more evidence that the completion of a long-awaited treatment plant can't come soon enough. As Kylie Stanton reports, new tests on shellfish have made some startling discoveries. A kilometer offshore and 60 meters below the surface. Due south from Clover Point, approximately. The outflow there is not only pumping sewage into the ocean, but everything else that goes down the drain. We find pharmaceuticals in the wastewater, in the sediments around the outfall, and of course the organisms that live around the outfalls. 
The Capital Regional District has been drug testing the sediment and sea life only to find they're struggling. Muscles in particular are taking on everything from antidepressants and pain medication to birth control. As far as what the impacts of these compounds are having, it's, it's not possible to say at this time. What they do know is how far reaching the impact of the effluent is. At the two outfalls located at Macaulay and Clo- the contamination can be found as far as 800 metres away before decreasing to background levels. We can see that PCB levels are elevated and industrialized and port areas. And that has Victoria topping the list on pollutiontracker.org, posting the highest levels of contaminants. Including PCBs, including uh, legacy pesticides that have long, uh, long been banned. The CRD is urging residents to do their part. You can reduce the amount of medication that ends up in the ocean by returning it to a local pharmacy for free and proper disposal. And this is especially important now as the region is still waiting on its wastewater treatment facility that once up and running is expected to significantly improve the situation. There will be some contaminants that will continue to go out the outfall at much lower levels, um, but treatment will overall reduce our effects on the ocean. It's estimated there will be up to 95% removal of the compounds, as well as other toxic chemicals found in sewage. But the facility won't open until the end of 2020. There's no telling how much damage will have been done by then. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A baby elephant trapped in a muddy well with its frantic mother close by. How villagers in Thailand came to the rescue right after the forecast. And you're going to want to hear that because more snow is in the forecast and cold too. Here's Christy with the details. That's right. Snow first and then it gets cold, everyone. And we're talking really cold. Overnight lows down to minus 10 during the day, only up to about zero. So make sure you get your toques and gloves ready. Lower mainland snow, though, over the next 12 hours. Here's your timeline. Starting off with tonight. We are going to see rain, but higher elevations will see wet snow, similar to what we saw last night. It's really the highest elevations. Westwood Plateau, higher parts of the North Shore, for example. And then tomorrow morning, the rain pushes in and it becomes a bit more intense. At that time, there is a chance with the intensity that it could change over to snow for a brief period of time. We could see anywhere from zero to five centimeters. So that's through the morning hours. Through the afternoon, western sections will see conditions ease off. So just a chance of showers. Temperatures warm up. Most areas going to see just rain, but mostly out in the Fraser Valley is where you'll see more consistent rain. Western sections, there is a chance you may even see a little break of blue sky later on in the day. So that's the general plan for the next 24 hours. And it's all because of this system that's dropping across all of southern BC. I'll show you how much you can expect in the interior in a second. But yes, that cold Arctic air starts to plummet in late tomorrow, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. You can expect it to be very cold all across southern BC. So how much? Well, we've got snowfall warnings in place all across southern BC. A good 10 to 15 centimeters of snow. Higher elevations could see up to 20. And yes, that includes all of the highways across southern BC. This snow forecast shows across Vancouver Island not a lot. And I would agree with that, especially Comox down towards Victoria. Up into the Howe Sound, Whistler region, that's where you'll see some snow. Higher elevations in North Shore, potentially out towards 
hope, but more likely east of hope. And then a zero to five centimeters. I think that seven is a little overdone, but there is that potential. So keep that in mind through your day tomorrow and even into your Sunday morning as well. Across the north, conditions clear out quite quickly. Everything drops to the south. Majority of your snowfall overnight and through the morning hours, it eases off in the afternoon. We showed you how much, 10 to 20 centimeters. And for the south coast, that mixing overnight potentially, a chance of wet snowing through the morning hours, but easing off to just a chance of showers later on. But flurries possible into our Sunday morning, cold and clear after that. A couple of birthdays for you. Happy birthday to Eileen Claremonti and Doris Campbell and our weather window for you tonight. Way back uh, Valentine's Day two days ago Aww. when we had a brief dusting of snow. It was nice to see that. Uh, JT actually sent this in, but it was Tanya that made the uh, drawing in the snow. Aww. His fiance. Oh, that's sweet. Very that's romantic. Best Valentine's card. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Christy. Well, villagers in eastern Thailand worked through the night to save a wild baby elephant in desperate straits. <laughs> The baby had fallen into a well on a rubber plantation and was struggling to keep its head above water. To make matters worse, its mother got caught on an electrified protective fence and fell stunned to the ground. She's okay. She recovered, but her baby was still stuck. Villagers who heard both of their cries rushed to the well with an excavator and very carefully dug away the dirt around the well. Three hours later... They helped her climb out, and she ran to her mother, and both of them retreated into the bush. Glad to see it. And then she was grounded. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Had her her iPhone taken Told you not to go near the well. Hello, Squire. Hello, everybody. Hey, um, so Whitecap season's like just over two weeks away. Coming up fast. I know. Everything's coming up fast. We've got rugby sevens. Big signing for the uh, Whitecaps. A big man. Big man. Got a big job. Yes, he does. Not just with the Whitecaps, but with Costa Rica coming up in the World Cup. Actually, you know what? It was signing week in Vancouver. Think back. Travis Lule gets a contract. New one with the Lions. And Solomon Alamimian signs with the Lions. Of course, the other day, big news. Jim Benning gets a new contract with the Canucks. And today, the captain. His hair's going to look a bit different than that in a few seconds. Uh, Kendall Waston, new deal for this year, next year, and an option for uh, 2020. And he has become one of the key guys for the Whitecaps, not just because he's the captain, but because he's a solid presence on the back line, and he can also chip in goals. And he's headed to the World Cup this year as a key member of the Costa Rican team. But he loves playing here, and he's very happy to be staying in Vancouver. You can see my smile. <laughs> I'm very happy because, how I said before, I feel this place like my house. The most important thing here is that we, all of us trying to make this club very successful. He's a big piece of the puzzle. Uh, obviously, his performances last year, especially... Um, he excelled, uh, he did very well for us and he deserves his uh, new extension so we're delighted to have him on board obviously Jake Nowinski last week as well so bit by bit we're um, building our core of players Now they will lose Waston from about late May through the end of the World Cup that could be earlier mid-July uh, Jordi Reyna may also end up with Peru at the World Cup, outside chances Bernie Abini, maybe he gets called up by Australia, Ali Ghazal with Egypt but those two seem like long shots this means the Whitecaps coming into this year needed depth, and that's what they believe they have with the season coming up fast on March 4th. With two weeks to go before their season opener, Whitecaps training camp is anything but a walk in the park. With jobs on the line, it's as intense as ever, and that's music to the coach's ears. 
know, some players have come in in super shape and have given me a headache in relation to they deserve to start, will they start? So at the moment, with two weeks to go, they're still fighting for places. Nobody can relax because if you relax, the other guy going to take your position. And it's a nice competition, right? So if we have more players like this, easier, this club going to win a lot of things. The reason the competition is more fierce than ever is because the Caps brought in quality newcomers like veteran Mexican midfielder Efren Juarez and forwards Kai Kamara and Anthony Blondell. More grit, more firepower, and more competition for playing time. Players don't like it sometimes, but that means they're mentally weak. I need players that are able to deal with their teammate pushing them to the limits and getting the best out of them because they're not going to be fit all the time. They're not going to be in form all the time. They're going to be on international duty. They're going to be suspended. So I need the players that do step in at those times to be ready. Last year, the Caps depended on striker Freddie Montero to score, and he did a fine job netting 14 goals to lead the team. But he was one of many smaller players up front, which limited the way the Caps attacked. They've definitely upgraded their size at forward, so expect to see more of an aerial assault in 2018. We will be different because it's different personnel uh, up top, but you know we've got different midfield players as well. You know we'll play a different way. We'll try and play a different way at certain times of of games and in certain environments. You know we're definitely going to push the goals. Again, goals win games, but at the same time, it the information that's been passed on to us is really try to. Uh, play together and really try to defend together because when we do that then it's easier for us to be on the counter on the break to go score goals. The Caps open their eighth MLS season Sunday March 4th at home to Montreal. Very delay Global Sports. Well with a win in a tournament today Roger Federer is once again going to be the number one player in the world the first time he's been number one in over five years he was first number one 14 years ago and he does it at the age of 36 oldest player man or woman ever to be number one in the world, the old record for being old, and number one was Andre Agassi, who was 33. Of course, Federer won the Aussie this year, 20th Grand Slam title. Well, Tiger Woods first appeared at Riviera in Los Angeles, or Pacific Palisades, when he was 16 years old. After a 12-year absence, oh boy, he came back for the Genesis Open this week, hoping to make, well, at least make the cut, but he ain't going to. Couldn't get out of the bunker very well there. Missing putts here. Had a bad day. Plus six. Missed the cut by four shots, but he will play next week. Uh, Graham McDowell. This is for Birdie from 54 feet away. Tied for the lead. Yep. Tied with Patrick Cantlay at minus seven for the lead. Nick Taylor, Adam Hadwin both made the cut. Centimeters at Grouse, a base of 375, 372 centimeter base Cypress, 23 new centimeters at Sasquatch at a base of 311. Revelstoke, a base of 275, Manning Park 170, Powder King 269 with 25 new, and Mount Washington 214. Southern Interior up to 7 centimeters of fresh snow overnight. Big White 274 centimeter base, Silver Star 243, Sun Peaks 218, and Apex 243. Coming up on ET Canada, Jen Aniston and Justin Thoreau's breakup and what's at stake with their fortune. Plus, our panel breaks down the highlights from New York Fashion Week. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Carlos. Squire with Satellite Debris now. Okay. So coming up on the program, we will have a all-star musical tribute to music. But first, a couple of comedy bits, uh, starting with a new commercial from Old Spice. 
Here we go. All right. Oh, I love it. Halt! Spice. Halt! Spice. Halt! Spice. Halt! Jack Link's Jerky presents Hangry Moments. What's your kitty's name? It's a puma. Thank you. Jack Link's Jerky, the protein packed way to feed your wild side. Okay, this is a commercial for BBC, and it features what they call the Impossible Orchestra. Now, if you can name everybody in this advert, then you know your music, not just pop music, but beyond that. Jake Bug, One Direction, Elton John, Stevie Wonder, Chris Martin, Brian May, Pharrell Williams, Dave Grohl, Sam Smith, Jazz Domi, Lord, Chrissy Hine, Florence Welsh, Kylie Minogue, just to name a few, and the, and the one who wrote this song, Brian Wilson. Here we go.
Uh, quite a bit. I'm get, well, just the production and getting all those people together and yeah. getting Brian Wilson to give you the song. Yeah. Not sure yeah. he did that for free, but you never know. Great song. Mm -hmm.